Welcome to the How to Lead podcast, helping you unleash your influence from wherever you are. My name is Clay Scroggins, and I'm excited about this episode two. We're in season one, season one of the How to Lead podcast, where we're discussing how to lead when you're not in charge. Most leaders are not in charge. Uh, in fact, uh, what we are most in charge of is actually ourselves and learning to lead ourselves, learning to choose positivity, learning to think critically, learning to reject passivity. Those are the hallmarks. Those are the behaviors of great leaders and great leaders really understand how important it is to learn how to lead when you're not in charge. The flip of the whole concept is that when you can learn how to lead when you're not in charge, you're going to become the kind of leader that is more likely to be in charge. But also when you become a leader with authority, learning to lead with influence is even more paramount because the greatest leaders lead through influence, not through their position, their rank, the size of their office, the proximity of their parking spot to the front door. The great leaders of the world really do lead through influence. And that's my hope is that this might help you cultivate more influence so that you can unleash your influence wherever you find yourself, whatever seat you're in, uh, whether you feel stuck in middle-level management, whether you're a brand new employee, emerging leader, whether you're on the backside of your career trying to make one more run at it, uh, this content is designed to help you uh, cultivate your influence from whatever seat you're in. I'm really excited about this particular episode. I don't know if there's many people in the world that have had more influence on me than the leader that I got the opportunity to sit down with for episode two. His name is Frank Blake, and Frank has a long storied career in law and in business. Uh, spent a lot of time in the U.S. government, spent a lot of time with GE, General Electric. Uh, Jack Welch is a pretty significant mentor for Frank, but Frank's claim to fame is uh, the time that he spent as the CEO of the Home Depot, an Atlanta-based company that is now all over the world, uh, has massive influence, massive reach, and Frank was... Uh, from all accounts, was a really fabulous CEO, but he's got great thoughts. Because he was in charge, because he was in plenty of roles where he wasn't in charge, he really understands the complexity of learning to lead when you're not in charge, which is why I think this interview is, uh, it's just so helpful. The wisdom he brings here, the nuggets he drops, the truth bombs that he delivers are fabulous. And I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you find it helpful. If you do, would love for you to tell somebody about it. I hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast. Hope that you go to claycroggins.com for more interviews like this, more resources that might just help you unleash your influence right where you are. Uh, here is Frank Blake. Well, I'm so excited about uh, the opportunity to introduce you to Frank Blake, uh, actually Francis Blake, I would assume. Yep. Is that right? Yep. Frank, you are the, uh, you're most recently, you're the CEO of Home Depot, yep. which is no small job. I think by the time you left, it was $83 billion in sales. Yep. Is that correct? Yep. That's correct. Um, it's grown You've a little bit research. since then. That's yep. right. 350,000 employees, yep. which yep. is incredible. Um, but if you could give us just the quick overview of your career. You've worked for a lot of different people. You right. know what it's like to not be in charge. <laughs> I do. I do know what it's like not to be in charge. Uh, and in fact, I wasn't, uh, I was a very unlikely choice to be the CEO of the Home Depot. So a little bit of background. I'm a lawyer by training. I got out of uh, law school. I clerked for a judge, then justice on the Supreme Court, then started in a law firm, went and worked for George Bush Sr. when mm -hmm. he was vice president. Uh, then back into a law firm, 
went back into government a couple of times, a very typical Washington, D.C. kind of practice. Then I left to go to GE to be uh, the general counsel of a business unit at GE. And the interesting thing about GE is, is they rotate business leaders right. constantly, but they never bother to lo rotate the lawyers because the lawyers didn't matter that much. <laughs> and so after five years, I was the only person around the table who really understood the business. And uh, that helped me. I eventually uh, yeah. moved onto the business side mm -hmm. and ended up ultimately working directly for Jack Welch, being in charge of uh, basically what's called business development, but it's all the merger and acquisition activity for GE. Then, uh, GE. I, then I went from GE, to, became the Deputy Secretary of Energy for a very short oh, period of time yeah. under George W. Bush, then to Home Depot, and I came into Home Depot largely doing the merger and acquisition, the M&A activity okay. Okay. that I did at GE. Okay. And then in 2007, uh, I got the call from the board of directors about being the CEO of Home Depot. And it is absolutely the case that a second before that call, it had never occurred to me that I would be the CEO of the Home Depot. Come Not, on, Frank. On, you can't even, lie at an event like no, this. And even you in, had never thought about it. Never thought about it. Never. That's even incredible. in the dead of night driving along saying, what would I do? Did not occur to me. Uh, it wasn't aspirational, mm -hmm. oh, I'm on the way to being mm -hmm. the CEO. So your discussion of, of what does it feel like to right. run something when you're not in charge was most of my life, <laughs> right. uh, was right. all of my life right. prior, prior to being the CEO of the Home Depot. I had not been, unlike the typical CEO who's gone through a succession sure. of smaller company, smaller company, company larger, right, sure. larger or units within, I had basically been in staff positions through my entire career up until becoming a CEO. So let me start with this question. Um, clearly, you had to learn how to have influence without, without holding the gun, without having the full weight of authority. What, what are just general thoughts that you'd offer on how do you learn to have influence when you don't have all the authority that you think you need? Yeah. The first comment that I'd make is uh, just generally about careers. My view of careers, a career is a succession of solving ever bigger problems. If you're successful at the first problem, you're given a bigger problem to solve. And every problem that you solve unlocks the opportunity to solve a bigger problem. And after, pretty much after the first problem, right. you might be given one problem that's entirely within your control, but pretty much from then on, you're not in control That's regardless. Right. That's right. So everything you're doing, you need to understand you're leading. If you have anybody who reports to you, you're obviously leading those folks. But you're also, to, to solve those problems, you're leading your colleagues. Yes. You're getting your colleagues to understand what it is that you need to do and why it's important to them. And most importantly, you're leading your boss mm. and understand what it is your boss wants you to do, and then framing that with him or her mm -hmm. so it's something you think mm -hmm. you can effectively so accomplish. So the solution to the problem right. is a solution that he or she Exactly. Would You've choose. got to make sure yeah. you're not off solving something yeah. and he or she is going, well, that's fascinating, right. but it's really irrelevant to the right. problem I think I'm giving right. you. So it's, uh, it's really understanding the alignment 
around the problems that you need to solve and who is critical to helping you solve that problem. And the interesting thing is, I would say, even once you're the CEO and you think, oh, well, yeah, now I'm in charge, same thing. It's the same thing. Wow. You, As far as I can tell, you never get to a point where it's entirely yours and your authority mm -hmm. because as you've gone through and solved those problems, you understand, first, you, as the CEO, you have direct bosses like your board of directors, but in the end, for something like a retail business or any business, your customers are your boss. Uh -huh. and You can't so make them you do can't, anything. So, right. so you're always, you're always in effect reporting to someone else. Which I think that that's the myth that too many times we buy into is we, because that, that shocks me to hear. Because I think, no, no, no. If you gave me the keys to the whole kingdom, I think right. I could figure out how to make it work to do what I think we need to do. But you're right. saying, no, no, even still it's a myth. In regards to thinking critically, one of the challenges is it's real easy for any one of us to just become critical. In fact, I would imagine as an attorney, you're probably really good at being critical. You seems like right. you could find things wrong with anything because that's what part of your training. So how, how did you keep yourself in line with being a problem solver and not just someone who was pointing out problems? I, 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 it's such a great question. And I think there are two really important things. The first thing is people... People, a lot of people's instinct is that I gain the most power mm -hmm. when I say no. Mm -hmm. So that when I say no, and when I say, gee, you know, you can't, you can't do this do because, no, because, because, right. that that feels powerful mm -hmm. to me because it makes me feel, gee, I just stopped yeah. this and mm -hmm. I get to go mm -hmm. outside the meeting and say, can you believe how stupid mm -hmm. all they these were people do this, were? And fortunately, I, I stopped no. them yeah. and this is great. Yeah. And Short term, there is some power associated with that, but long term, it's a problem mm -hmm. because long term, uh, first, you can't get anything done just saying no all the time. Uh, and long term, issue identification doesn't move anything forward. Wow. You've got to solve stuff. Wow. And uh, it's most what, what you'll see. What you'll see as you unlock your bigger and bigger, bigger problems is the people you value the most are the people who can think outside of their mm -hmm. particular expertise or think through their expertise to what it is you want to accomplish and can help you accomplish it better, faster, smoother, uh, whatever it is. So That's great. Yeah. So start by resisting the urge to just say no right. and look for ways to right. say yes. Right. Look for ways to say yes or look for ways. I mean, there are lots of different ways to phrase it. Either it's look for ways to say yes. Uh, there's a great saying of, uh, you know, smooth equals slow, slow equals fast. Mm -hmm. Or it's slow equals smooth, smooth equals fast. That sometimes if you can say, look, this isn't a no, this is, here's how to make it better baked mm -hmm. so that it goes faster in the end. It might seem like you're losing two weeks of time here or you're solving something not important now, but it's going to allow you to go so much faster when yeah. you get to implementation. Because it'll be smoother. Because it'll be smoother. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Which is a way to just rephrase right, something exactly. and say it in a right. way that 
allows your boss right. or your colleagues to move forward the way you think it right. needs to move forward. Exactly. And, va- and add value. Sure. So you're actually thinking. So the people ask me all the time, what's the, what did I learn from government that was applicable in business? And the answer is, is not much. But there was <laughs> That's the short one, answer. <laughs> that's the short answer. But there was one thing, which is there's a saying in Washington, D.C. that where you stand depends on where you sit. And what you'll find in a lot of organizations is the person from HR always and only talks about HR issues. Mm-hmm. person from legal mm-hmm. always and only talks mm-hmm. about legal issues. That's where you stand, which is that ends up being where you sit. Yeah. Well, where you sit, yeah. I'm a lawyer. Yeah. So that's where I stand. Everything oh, oh, I, I tell you is legal. Uh-huh. I'm HR. Everything I tell you yeah. is HR. If you approach issues like that, you are decrementing your influence in the organization because oh, wow. then people oh, only wow. want yeah. your input yeah. on an HR issue or they only yeah. want your input on a yeah. legal issue. Yeah. So you have to be willing. First, you have to understand what it looks like outside of your box. And then you have to be willing occasionally to say, here's a better way for these, yeah. these folks alongside of me to get where they want to go using my expertise to help them. So you had to climb the ladder in a sense and see from a broader perspective so that you could see your issues outside of just legal issues? Right, but I think you could do that at any level. Yeah. You could do that at any level. It's, it's a uh, spend time in whatever it yeah. is you're yeah. doing at, in the end as a customer or yeah. as a client yeah. or because every organization ultimately pivots around What's the customer or the client? That's right. The, what are they wanting? What are they yeah. wanting? Yeah. And there's yeah. no reason for yeah. most things that you can't understand that or have a point of view or bring some value to that, regardless of where you are in the organization. So I feel like that's part of your legacy as a CEO moving into that stage of your career is I have heard from Home Depot employees, read articles about you. I've just studied up on you, Frank, and everyone says... They had never seen anyone walk the floor of Home Depot as much as you did. What, what was behind that? Uh, behind that was, uh, so Bernie Marcus, who's the founder of Home Depot, uh, a great, I mean, and Arthur Blank here in town and Ken Langone. Uh, but Bernie had a comment to me early on that stuck with me, I think is deeply true at lots of different levels. But he said, you have a prominent job because you're the person who gets yes. to go on videos uh-huh. like this. Uh-huh. You're the person uh-huh. who gets to talk to investors. Yep. You got the title. You, you have can a fly prom- on the jet. You can fly on right? the jet, which is really good. <laughs> you have a prominent job, but you don't have a significant job. Wow. The only significant job are the people in front of the customers wow. helping the customers. Wow. And once you understand that, and once you understand who has the significant jobs wow. in your organization, you want to spend more time with the people who have right. the significant jobs because that helps you understand what, er, what, what it, it is your organization is yep. about and what you're doing. And it helps you solve problems better. Yes. Because in the end, you're yes. solving problems yes. for those people. So if you're at a church and you're a department director, you lead right. children or you lead students, the, that's the prominent role. Right. The significant role is the person that's actually dealing right. with people. It's, it's the small did, group leader yeah, or the exactly. greeter or whoever that is. Exactly. Because so they're figuring the, out what, what they, are their needs. Yes. Are. yes. What, yes. Do they, what do they need yes. to do their jobs better? Uh, the Home Depot headquarters is called the Store Support Center. And it's called the Store Support Center 
exactly so it's not called the headquarters. Yeah. It is there to support the store because the store yeah. is where the action happens. Was it called that before yeah. you became yeah, yeah, CEO? Yeah. So another thing that I've heard you talk a lot about is the, the inverted pyramid, right. which this is a great principle for anyone who is in charge and anyone who's not in charge, right. but you, you saw it differently. You saw your role really in a true servant leader role. Can you explain yeah. that? So I'm a deep believer that, that uh, the inverted pyramid is, is one of the most profound expressions of truths in any organization. Mm. So back to the conversation of authority versus influence. When you invert the pyramid and put the CEO and the C-suite or whoever's, you know, the executives in charge, when you put them in the bottom and at the top are the customers, I mean, it, it is servant leadership, but I'd say on a business side, it's, it's beyond that. Mm. Because the first thing you realize is everything that's important is happening way above me. Mm. There is no force of gravity that takes my memo, my thought, mm -hmm. and spreads mm -hmm. it down to the organization. That's a great picture. And organizations actually don't work that way. Right. The force of gravity is not in your favor right. wherever you are. Which a, you would think it is. I mean, that's right. the myth. That's think, the myth. Well, once Frank Blake right. says it, it's going to filter right. all the way down and to everybody goes, the cashier. Well, that's fascinating. <laughs> Have you seen Frank's memo? No. Did Frank send <laughs> a memo? I saw I think trash. I saw right. it in the trash. <laughs> And so then you realize, and this was actually the biggest learning for me, listening to Andy Stanley, was the way you move a large organization is it's osmosis, it's telling a story, it's getting alignment around a story, it's the celebration around the story. So my objective as the CEO of the Home Depot was I wanted every one of the 350,000 associates to be saying the same thing that I'd say. Wow. Now, I'm not sure I got there, but that was, I understood that that was not going to happen by issuing a memo. The only way that would happen would be repetitive, here's the vision, here's the story that explains the vision, here's how we celebrate wow. it and we move it forward. And that's true whether you're in the CEO box yeah. at the bottom of the yeah. pyramid, yeah. the next line above that, the next line above that. It's true throughout the entire organization, even to the frontline associates, because your frontline associates, you want to be telling forward the same, the same story in effect to your customers so that your customers are getting the expression of whatever it is as an organization you're trying to convey. Yes, and thinking of it that way that idea of pushing that up, which is so much harder. So much harder. So much more real. Right. That's reality. Exactly. Uh, so it's when I picture. when I, I give I give talks to new CEOs all the time and I talk about the inverted pyramid, I said, here's here are the things to understand, in addition to the senior servant leadership. The things to understand are it's uphill. <laughs> this is yeah. hard work. Yeah. Yeah. You don't rise yeah. and get things get easier, it gets harder. Wow. You work harder. And you believe that. I totally, be I totally <laughs> I believe that. And it's about communication. Yeah. It's about listening and understanding the other thing. And this is the bad side yeah. on the influence versus authority. The default mode for most of the people above you in the pyramid is actually to deflect you away from 
what's really happening. Wow. Too often within an organization, people internalize, look, my, the best way for me to interact with my boss is if my boss asks me, how's everything going? It's great. Thumbs up. It's awesome. Please go away. Leave me alone. <laughs> That's the default mode right. in most organizations. Right. And you've got to turn that around and listen aggressively, communicate aggressively. And, you know, it's, it's a very different, it's a very different job when you see yourself yeah. at the bottom rather than the top. Well, Frank, thank you so much. And uh, I, I, a lot of times people hear that and they think, well, I'm sure Home Depot didn't have a lot of success with that style, but Home Depot did really well. We like, did really CEO, well. We did really well. We 127% really well. Uh, stock grew. Uh, yeah, so, more than that. Wow, that's yeah, incredible. More than that. More than so that. thank you. Thanks for yeah. your humble way. Yeah. Thanks for being a part of this today. Yeah. No, thank you, Clay. Great. And it's a great thing to talk about. So I, I, I'm a, since I became CEO late in life, I think it is a great thing for people to think about how they express their uh, influence within an organization without necessarily having the title. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for the How to Lead podcast. If you have a chance to review this podcast, it would mean a ton to me, and it would certainly allow us to be able to reach other leaders like you. Again, if you enjoyed this content, you can find more of it at claysscroggins.com. Thanks again for listening. I recently asked people on Instagram a pretty simple question, but an important question. In the last month, how many of you have had thoughts about quitting your job, resigning from your job? Of the respondents, 63% said that they had just in the last month. I had one guy DM me and say, hey, I just started my job in the last month. Does that count as double? <laughs> I said, I don't think that counts for anything other than I feel for you. Uh, when you're in the middle of waffling, when you're in the middle of that indecision, when you're trying to answer the question, should I stay or should I go, it creates all kinds of emotional duress. And because of that, I've tried to create a resource that I hope will be helpful. It's called, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Four-hour audio download. Go to stayorgo.work to download it for yourself. And I hope that you find it useful, helpful, and I hope that it helps you discover something about yourself, which may actually mean more than answering the question.